listening to the best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. What if there was a place where your hard-earned cash could grow safely and sanely without being pilfered by bankers, Wall Street, tax collectors, or other persons of dubious character? A place where you could say no to the motion sickness-inducing ups and downs of the stock market. Where you didn't have to grovel on your hands and knees every time you wanted to borrow money from some tight-fisted banker who collects all your private data and then turns you down. Such a world sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, it isn't. All you need to do is call toll-free right now and ask for your Living Wealthy Financial Information Packet. It costs nothing and it will tell you exactly what you need to do to chart a more prosperous financial course and take back what belongs to you. So, do it. Call right now. 1-800-382-0830 That's 1-800-382-0830 Or, visit our website at www.livingwealthyfinancial.com You'll be glad you did. Sunday, Austin. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. My guest today, Van Miller, just celebrated his 39th year as an insurance and financial professional. He is one of the top producers in the country and one of my personal mentors. Very happy to have him on the show today. You know, when it comes to the economy, uh, we are so bombarded with all sorts of conflicting information on how do we protect ourselves, how do we protect our money, how do we build a secure financial future for ourselves, our families, and our businesses. Well, today's conversation with Van Miller, I think you're going to find very enlightening. He's going to present the State of the Union in terms of what's going on and some real solid solutions as to how you can protect yourself. So my guest today, Van Miller, just celebrated his 39th year, Van, in the insurance and financial industry. Actually, 40th. 40th? January 22nd, 1973. Amazing. I bet you've seen incredible changes in the insurance and financial industry in 40 years. Amazing, wonderful, interesting, challenging, and the best is yet to come. And why do you say that? Well, I, I know this sounds interesting to people, but at this point in our world, we have the best products ever designed in the history of mankind. They're able to do things that wouldn't have even been dreamed of 10 years ago. And it's 
important and appropriate for what's happening right now because there's so many challenges and so many issues that have to be addressed. And we're understanding that there's a finite amount of money to deal with those issues. And because of that finite amount of money, uh, a lot of things are being put in jeopardy. And so by having these wonderful, creative people design these amazing products that can do many things rather than just one thing, we like to say it in a simple way. We've found a way to make one dollar do the work of many dollars or pennies that can buy dollars. And that's going to be so important going forward with inflation and taxes and uh, ever increasing costs for health care. We're going to really, really, really need to have efficient money working for our clients. And so I'm actually very excited about what's about to happen. Um, the world is about to go through a transition. I'm excited to be part of a historical transition. Uh, I think we're going to become, at the end of this transition, less dependent on government, less dependent on corporations, less dependent on unions, and much, much more dependent or independent, depending on how you want to look at it, on ourselves. Well, well, Van, you take a very different position than most of the dependents out there. Everybody is is um, just really very pessimistic about the future, and here you are excited to be part of, you know, the, the changes that are coming in the economy. Well, you know, you can choose to be pessimistic, but, you know, if you want to put it into context, I ask all my clients all the time, would you rather be living at a time when you didn't have efficient government or would you rather be living at a time when they were dropping real atomic bombs? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'll choose not efficient government every time. And uh, actually, I'm very excited about the future. I believe the next 40-year bull market of the world, and that's what I like to call it, where there'll be unmitigated growth in every section of society, job growth, uh, opportunity growth, education growth, whatever you want. It'll happen after we learn to deal with becoming an older world. You know, by 2050, one out of every seven people on the planet will be over the age of 65. Uh, that means we will actually have more people over 65 than we have people under the age of 10. And, and so it creates really difficult problems that we didn't understand, didn't realize they would come as fast as they did about how do we care for these people and how do we care for them when they're going to live 10, 20, 30 years, many people will live as long in retirement as they did working. We didn't plan for that. We didn't actually design anything to work to deal with those kinds of issues. And uh, so we're adjusting. We're transitioning, I call it. And this is a historical decade because we are seeing the transition of the world. I see a time, and I'm not kidding, when I'm going to sell people in Mexico and I'm going to sell people in 
Russia, and I'm going to sell to people in China, and I'm going to sell to people in South America. Seriously? Yeah, because I'll have a computer, and I'm already seeing some of it, where I'll be able to speak my language into the computer, and the computer will translate what I'm saying so that the person on the other side can understand what I'm saying. And it'll be voice activated, so it won't be where you have to read. You'll hear it. I mean, I think they're inches away from technology like that. And uh, that creates a gigantic world that becomes very intimate. And the second thing that's very exciting about it is it opens all kinds of doors uh, of opportunity. And it opens all kinds of creativity doors. Uh, I'm not looking anything that I'm going to tell you that I think is a difficult challenge today is not doom and gloomer into the world. It's an exciting opportunity if it is planned for, and it is a end of the world scenario if you don't prepare for it. And the easiest way to explain that is if you talk about the people from the great depression in our current generation, Teresa, now seriously, I'm going to ask you this in our current generation, who are the people with the most money? The not the baby boomers. It's the no. Um, the baby boomers are broke. They're, they're broke, yeah. right? It's it's the parents of the baby boomers. Right, the seniors, the people seniors. that lived through the Great Depression. Seventy mm-hmm. percent of the wealth is concentrated in the hands of the people over the age of sixty-five. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Well, because and they it, had a different way of managing money and spending money. Well, let's talk about that. Didn't they save money and keep it saved? Sure. Didn't they live within their means? Sure. And isn't that really the secret to getting wealthy? I believe it is. And if you go a step further, what if you could jet propel that money by keeping taxes off of it? Certainly. What if you could jet propel that money by making sure that it never experienced any losses? Even better. (laughs) What if you could jet propel that money where you could actually leverage it, where you could make a dollar look like $5 or $10? Absolutely. But, you know, why with all this information uh, on money, Van, and all the information on the Internet, on TV, the, the pendants out there, why do most Americans have no financial peace? Oh, boy, that's easy. Because they don't, they don't, first of all, and I know this is going to sound funny to you, but they don't understand that they have a problem. And they don't understand the serious issues that we're about to deal with as a country and a world. So, uh, and to be honest, there's science about this. Um, the attention span of an American is approximately 12 seconds. That's why there are no commercials longer than 30 seconds on television anymore because they don't have an attention span long enough to do it. People also do not like to be told anything. And and what I mean by that is if I came to you and said, listen, even if it was for your own good, Teresa, I don't want you to drink any soda anymore because it's no good for you. But you drink soda. Are you going to do it? And the answer is no, you're just not, because somebody told you to. You're going to have to have either an aha moment or somebody's going to have to ask you a question and say, 
you know, excuse me, uh, are, are you okay with not feeling good every day? Are you okay with, uh, you know, not fitting into your clothes well? Are you okay with, and, and what ends up happening is that aha moment is when you have a illness or you have something that causes you to go, boy, wouldn't it be better if I drank a bottle of water rather than have a soda? And, and the reason I brought that up as an example is because I'm actually going through that right now. Uh, even when you think you really know something, almost every decision that is ever made is made using emotion and supported by fact. Scientifically, human beings cannot handle more than six facts at one time, but they can handle enormous amounts of emotional information. And when you say to them, well, listen, I have eight facts for you. And then they say to you, well, I don't think I'm going to do anything. Why do they make that decision? And the answer is simple, because they don't want to make a mistake. And now they have too many facts to wade through, and they don't want to do something wrong. So it's just easier to do nothing. And so what we have to do to help the people at least that we come in contact with is we have to make it simple. We can't tell them anything. We have to ask them, what do you think about this? Where do you want to go? Would you rather be uh, poor or would you rather have something right now that you probably really don't need? Would you rather have a guaranteed income that you can never outlive or would you like to have that uh, extra feature on your SUV that you have? You know, we're, you know, we have to ask people. And if they say, I'd rather have the extra feature on the SUV, well, they're making a decision. But you know what? I don't think people, and this is the most important part, I don't think most people have really organized thinking about investing and, and saving for retirement. They think, uh, most people are concerned with things like, boy, am I going to have a job next week? Am I going to be able to put food on the table? Wow, if gas goes up to 6 or 7 or $8 a gallon, will I even be able to get to work? You know, uh, uh, what's going to happen? And, um, and is my football team on at noon or at 3 o'clock on Sunday? They're not thinking about any of this. And we get frustrated as advisors, as insurance people, as in, uh, financial professionals, and we don't take the time to say, may we ask you a question? And if we'd ask them enough questions in the right order, it helps them to organize their thinking. And if they feel they have organized thinking about something, then they're willing to lay some money down to protect themselves, too save for the future because they understand the benefits. We assume they understand the benefits. They don't. And it's not, I'm not picking on anybody. They just have other things that is more important for them to think about than it is to spend time um, deciding about what's the best retirement methodology. How do I make sure I have an income for the 40 years I'm going to be alive after I retire? See, they don't think about that. And Most people don't think they're going to, to they're going to be around forty years after they retire. Well, I am. I'm I'm sixty two years old, and I've got another sixty three years to go yet. Hmm. 
go, I'm only halfway through my life. And you know, you're going to laugh I, just as an aside, because I know you talked you talk about health and welfare on, on your program as well. You know, there's science that says if you tell yourself that you're going to be healthy, if you tell yourself that you're going to live long, if you do it enough, your mind actually works on that even while you're not. Absolutely. Concentrating on it. They call it, they used to call it subconscious, but now they call it the superconscious. You know, if you think about something that's really a difficult issue for you right before you go to bed, Lots of times you wake up in the morning and you have a solution because mm-hmm. your mind continues to work on it while you're sleeping. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And and that's the that's the fun. Uh, that's why I say when you say to me, how can you think positive about all of this stuff? Well, think about this. If the stock market crashes, what's the best time to invest, and see, I can talk about this because it's basic information. That this, and I'm not talking about any products or anything. I'm just going to ask a couple of questions. General questions. If, general. If the stock market crashes, what's the best time to invest in the stock market? Well, what would make sense, right, is after it crashes, not okay. before. Well, when's that going to be exactly? We don't know, do we? And isn't that why everybody struggles? Sure, because it's not predictable. There's no crystal ball. You know, we have no idea when the market's going to be up or or be down. And what's the best time to take advantage of interest rates when they're high or when they're low? Well, it depends what you're trying to do. If you're trying to borrow money when it's low, if you're trying to make money when it's high. When's that going to be exactly? We don't have a crystal ball. We have no idea. Again, so what's really important and and please, this may not be something you want to hear, but this is, I, I want you to understand, this is, uh, for your listeners, this is the conversation that they should have with their advisor. This is very important. None of us has a single clue about what's about to happen. This is all brand new territory. This is all experimental. Nothing like this has ever occurred in the history of the world. Nothing. And and the only way I know how to portray it to my clients is I ask them questions. I say, please, whether you like our president or don't like our president, if he could figure out a way to fix our economy, don't you think he'd do it? Teresa? Well... With our current don't president, I I don't know that I don't know that don't he, that's think he would do. do it. Of course he would. You think he would? What I absolutely okay. I, again, they want to have success. They want to, to. It's historical. They want to be remembered in a, a historically good way. Whether you're for him or not, I believe that if he knew a way to fix the economy, he'd do it. And and his his opponent in the last election, Mitt Romney, I, he woke up the morning after the election. He really thought he'd been elected. Right. He was that sure of it. And if he could have told us a way that we would have believed would absolutely fix the economy, don't you think more of us would have voted for him? Sure. And then Bernanke. You know, if there's real arguments, this gentleman is the head of the Federal Reserve. 
He's printing a trillion dollars a year of money, arguably one of the most powerful, ultimate financial insiders on the planet. Mm -hmm. If he could figure out a way to fix our economy without printing a trillion dollars a year, don't you think he would? Well, I don't I don't know, Van. Honestly, I think he knows that he he's gotta know that this cannot be good for the economy. So I, there are other there are the theories out there. I see I agree with you. But that's not what I asked you. He's using the only way he knows right now to keep it from crashing. But if he knew how to fix it, don't you think he would? I'm I'm one of those skeptics, so I don't know that he would, but... Okay, I'll, and I'll accept that, but I, I'm going to, for the sake of this argument, I'm going to say I believe he would. Okay, okay. And so I look my client right in the face and I say, so what do you expect me to do? If three of the most powerful people on the planet don't know what's going to happen, if they don't know how to fix this, wouldn't I be lying to you if I told you I knew what was going to happen next? Sure. Isn't that where all of us make a mistake when we try to portray that we have some kind of insider knowledge that we know what's going to happen? But don't you see so, writing on the wall? Aren't there are certain things that we can predict? No, I saw writing on the wall four years ago, and they printed enough money to keep the money the writing going, <laughs> you know, uh, this is all brand new. And so where I'm going with the presentation to my client, this is really important. I want your listeners to hear this. If nobody knows what's going to happen next, should you be really aggressive with your investment choices? Could you make a big mistake? Could you make a mistake that you might never recover from? If I was your client, the way I would answer that would be I'd have to really think hard and say, you know what, I'm 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 not sure. I don't know what the future is going to be. So So if you don't know what the future is going to be, would you be willing to risk all of your money on not knowing what the future is going to be? If I was your client sitting mm -hmm. there thinking about that question, I would have to say I'd be really concerned. Okay. So then what I ask them is, wouldn't a better strategy be to make sure that you're safe right now, watch and wait and see what happens, and then have a strategy that allows you to take advantage of whatever bad thing happens? Wouldn't that be a great strategy for an uncertain time like this? I would say so. But that's what we try to do for our people. That's what we should try to make sure that they have a strategy that keeps them safe right now in these uncertain times and then allows them to have enough access to the money so that they could take advantage of whatever opportunity they saw available to them. And let me ask you, this is important, and I want you to be honest. I want you to answer the way you would be if you were a client, not as somebody who's just talking on the radio. Okay. This is important. Absolutely. If you don't know what's going to happen, doesn't that present danger? Sure. And of course. And... Do you think people can afford danger right now? I think people have gotten to the mess they're in today because they have risked 
they, they, they've taken money that should have been the foundation of their finances, that should have been, you know, positioned somewhere safely, and they've risked it. It's been gambling money. It's been venture capital money, right? Um, and I think that's why people have no financial peace today. I think that's why people um, wake up in the morning and they're worried and they're concerned. I, I agree with you. So why would they continue to do that? Because they don't know they have a better, there's a better solution for them. They don't know that there are other strategies out there where they don't have to wake up so every morning concerned. So who's fault is that? It's, I think it's the industry's fault. I think it's people like me who work in the industry. We're we're not doing a good enough job at you know presenting the problem and disturbing clients to look at their finances in a different way. But I don't even think it's about disturbing. I don't think anybody makes a decision based on bad news. Oh, boy, I better protect this because the market's going to crash. I think they are much more excited about what if you didn't have to lose anything when uh, a serious issue happened and you were in a position where you could actually turn it into an opportunity, whatever the, the source is. Wouldn't that be something that people would be more interested in running towards rather than running away from? Don't people deny bad news? Don't people resist bad news? Don't people even uh, depress bad news? They they don't think about it. They don't talk about it. How many people did we hear about? And I saw this on 60 Minutes, and it blew me away that we're getting in 2007 and 8 their 401k statements and they didn't even open the letters. Yes, I I have clients like that today that you know they tell me I don't look at my statements. I don't I don't want to know. They'd rather not know. Exactly. But but there's no peace there. There is like a low grade depression so to speak, right? They know that there's a problem and they're just not facing it. Because they don't know so, that they have other strategies. They don't know there's a solution out there for them. But still, I'm and I'm not doing a good, jo- good enough job of explaining this. Instead of explaining it as a problem, why don't we explain it as an opportunity? Mm-hmm. Why don't we say, boy, wouldn't you like to take advantage of one of these situations? Wouldn't you like to uh, be, you know, on the right side of one of these situations once? Wouldn't that be wonderful? And so you have to have a strategy ahead of time to do that. That's why I'm so excited to come on programs like this because there are so many wonderful ways to do this now. There are so many wonderful means by which we can take care of people. If it's okay, may I just read a list of the things that your listeners ought to be paying attention to right now? Sure, absolutely. Why don't we take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll go into that list. Thank you. You are listening to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Catch Teresa every Sunday at noon, and be sure to visit livingwealthyfinancial.com for more information, or call 1-800-382-0830 to set up a consultation with Teresa. She's local and excited to speak with you. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. 
Welcome back to Living Wealthy Radio. This is Teresa Kuhn. Our guest today is Van Miller, who just celebrated his 39th year as an insurance and financial professional. So, Van, you've got this list that you want to mention about what you see are issues today. Yes, if it's okay. It won't It won't take long, but Absolutely. it gives you a, an idea of the things that people should be really paying serious attention to. So the first one would be Social Security. And there's an easy way to find out about that. You just go to Google and you type in the Social Security and Medicare Trustees Report, and you can get all the statements for the last however many number of years you feel like examining where they'll tell you about Social Security. Well, there's a a famous professor. His name is Professor Lawrence Kotlikoff, and uh, I've been following him for years before anybody in the industry even knew about him. He's been writing about this for a long time, and he just explained why the Medicare and Social Security actuaries literally disavow the trustee's report almost the second that it's issued, and now they actually disavow the report internally inside of the report they actually say okay you got the report now nothing in it is true and let me explain how they do that what they do is and this is just a brief example the the 2000 trustees report 2013 trustees report on social security shows an infinite horizon fiscal gap that's a shortfall how much money they would need to make social security financially sound of $23.1 trillion. That's the difference between the money separating the system's projected costs and taxes net of its trust fund. So it's a massive shortfall, and it grew by 8% last year. Now, that means every 12 years that shortfall would double if it continued at 8% growth. And right now, that $23 trillion is 50% larger than the actual GDP of our country and almost twice the federal debt held by the public. Mm. Now, in the same report, they issue a, a, a fiscal gap based on a 75-year-old, or a 75-year life expectancy, and they only show $9.6 trillion of shortfall rather than $23.1 trillion. The fiscal gap using a 75-year life expectancy hides 60% of the system's true long-term shortfall. If they were going to fix this right now, they would literally have to, and you're not going to believe me, they would have to raise taxes immediately and permanently by 64% on all federal taxes, or they would have to reduce spending by 40% immediately and permanently. Now, they're not going to do either of those things. And remember... Of the two programs, Social Security and Medicare, Social Security is the easiest one to fix. So if they're not going to be able to do it based on this information, if they're already trying to say, 
hey, we're even going to lie inside the report that we give you. And why is it a lie? Because a baby born today has a life expectancy of 80 years, not 75. So they're actually showing a shorter life expectancy, and that's how they can hold down the amount of money that will be required to pay Social Security benefits. Now, who do we want to tell that information to? I'll explain in a minute. We should be talking to people about Medicare, Medicaid, interest on the debt, inflation, war and defense, the health care reform entitlement legislation that is known as Obamacare, which one of the creators, Max Baucus, has labeled as a train wreck. And they're already backtracking off of it saying that they're going to delay the employer mandate until 2015 now rather than 2014. And here's the really funny one. They tell the public that they are going to give subsidies based on the income that people have, but they are going to trust them until 2015 to tell them what their income is. There's going to be no enforcement. So the public now knows that they can come in and say, even if they're making $200,000 a year, I'm only making 10000 a year and get a subsidy. <laughs> and nobody will check because they're putting America on the honor system. Funny. Uh, Crazy. Obamacare is going to cost the American people so much money. Again, I'm going to just finish reading this list. Unemployment, the actual health care costs, not this legislation. Here's what I mean by that. They just did a study by the Institute of Medicine, which said that fully 30 cents of every dollar spent in America on health care is waste or fraud. <laughs> now, let me tell you what the number is. It's $750 billion a year, which is literally almost the entire deficit. Now, everybody says, boy, if we could just cut all that waste and fraud in the health care system, boy, we could balance our budget. But I have a question for everybody. What is the incentive of the people getting that $750 billion to ever want that fixed? None. <laughs> well, there isn't any. Right. They're, gonna, they're actually lobbying to keep a lot of that going so they can take advantage of it. I mean, it's never going to be fixed unless they really change the system to deliver quality health care at an affordable price to everyone that is respectful of the professionals that work in the industry and allows care to be based on wellness rather than sickness. If they don't find a way to deliver that, then we're going to struggle for a long time dealing with this because we have 300,000 people a month turning age 65 for the next 19 years. I'm telling you, you don't even know how to spell health care costs. Next one is infrastructure. Then all these natural disasters. Where are we going to get the money to replace and fix all the damage done by these natural disasters? Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the Federal Housing Authority, 
the state budget shortfalls. They're talking about $4 trillion of shortfalls just for health care and retiree benefits at the state level. Black swan events like terrorism, uh, uh, things of that nature, derivatives, commercial real estate, home mortgages, sovereign debt crisis, Europe, China, Japan are even in worse shape than the United States. All of those countries seem serious, serious problems. Student loan crisis. How can any student coming out of college with a trillion dollars in loans afford to buy a house? And if they can't afford to buy a starter house, then how do the people that have the starter houses go up to the next level of houses and how do you expand the housing market? People have no idea how much of a problem this has caused. So who do I tell that information to? Believe it or not, I spend very little time telling that information to young people or even baby boomers. Baby boomers don't have any money. I go and talk to the people that have the money, and I ask them a very simple question. If we could show you a way that you could stay in complete control of your money until you took your last breath, it's your money. You deserve to be in control of it. You shouldn't give it to anybody until you're done using it. But if we could show you how to stay in control of it until you take your last breath, but instead of giving that money to the government, to a nursing home, or to a hospital, you could keep that money in your family for generations to come so that maybe they could afford health insurance, so that maybe they would have some kind of fighting chance to ever have a retirement. Would you do it? <laughs> what do you think they say, Teresa? Absolutely. They want to know more. But we don't ask them. They have, they have trillions of dollars sitting in certificates of deposit making nothing right now. I've actually seen money market accounts where people have $300,000 in a money market account and they've made one-tenth of 1% 1 interest or $300 of interest for the year and $300,000. Because they're scared. They don't Absolutely. want to put their money anywhere else. They have a right to because we haven't offered them any other solutions. We And we have other solutions. We have safe solutions that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, most of the companies that I like to talk about have been around are almost 200 years old, many of them, many from the 1820s and 1830s. Uh, they've been around that long. You know, and we go and we talk to them and we say, you know, what if there was a product that would yield five to ten times more than long-term CDs? What if there was a product that had guaranteed returns in some of the cases. What if you did not have to report any of that information to the IRS? What if that money could be accessed at any time without a penalty? And what if you could actually use that money to retire 100% income tax free? Wouldn't you want to know about something like that? Absolutely. Hmm. I wonder, is there a product like that that exists out there? Well, I know there is. But let's say I didn't. I'd look at you and I'd say, 
Van, I don't know what you're talking about. That product doesn't exist. Well, it's existed for literally more than 100 years. And they just don't want you to know about it. You know, bankers will never tell you about it. Uh, let me give you an example. You know, who owns stuff like that? What if I told you John Kennedy, President Taft, President Cleveland, President McKinley, if a significant portion of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's wealth was in those kind of accounts? What if I told you John McCain funded his presidential campaign using an account like that? Walt Disney, J.C. Penney's. Absolutely. Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc. Right. The Rothschild family. The Rockefellers. Astonishing amounts of amazing, interesting people that have used these kinds of accounts, but very few people know about them. What about the institutions? What about banks? Well, to give you an example, the Bank of America has more money in this product than it costs to build their entire 5,600 branch buildings across America. They have $185 billion in this. Citibank has $4.5 billion. J.P. Morgan, $9.8 billion. Wells Fargo, $19.3 billion twice as much as invested in all of their bank premises. 4,000 banks, 4,000 banks have $440 billion in this product. Astonishing. And I'm not done in the area. Walmart, GE, Comcast, Disney, Johnson & Johnson, Harley-Davidson, Gannett, Verizon, Nearly 700 of the Fortune 1,000 companies have this product and use this product to safely grow money. So, so why isn't the public more informed? Well, because they don't want the public to be more informed. They don't want them to know about this. They, the institutions have actually made rules that say we can't say this is a savings invest or an investment account. It's a protection account. They actually have stopped this from doing it. J.C. Penney, you know, just talking about this for a minute, J.C. Penney would have lost his company if, if he wouldn't have uh, had this product available to him. Um, you know, I don't want to trick anybody or anything. What I'm really talking about here is cash value life insurance. And most people don't even know that these products have been around for hundreds of years. That they have paid, many of the companies have paid dividends 150 years in a row. <laughs> uh, Wall Street the banks have put billions and billions of dollars into these plans um, and they are considered to be a desirable component 
of any overall wealth building strategy. Part of the reason they don't get a lot of plays, because really what you're talking about is a five to five and a half percent long term tax free benefit. Now, if you're talking to somebody who's in a 30% tax bracket, you're talking about probably an 8% before-tax return. But this is guaranteed. never goes down, grows all the time. There's leverage. There's so many benefits to this that so many people do not understand. I have young children, my children, just getting out of law school. Their dividend is bigger than their premium already at 28 and 26 years old. Can you imagine the growth of these products that they're going to have over the course of their life? Absolutely fantastic. And can they access that money without taxes? Absolutely. They can access it at any time to buy cars and buy homes and Pay for and take advantage of our business opportunities and investment opportunities. And exactly, but you, you know, Van, I hear often from my clients when you know they first start working with me, they say, "You know, this is a young man's game, right?" And I've got many, many clients who start these policies when they're in their fifties and sixties and seventies, um, even. But mm-hmm. but speak to that because I think that's a, a misperception that many people have. Well, I'm 62, and I'm, I'm. I hope everybody laughs when they say it. 62 is the new 32. Uh, you know, I'm going to be around for a long time. What if I could take a dollar out of my left pocket, and I could put it in my right pocket, and it would still earn the same amount of interest as it did in a bank savings account, or in a money market, or even in a certificate of deposit. But if I died, it would pay a dollar and a half to my heirs income tax-free. What if I got sick and went in the nursing home and it would pay $2 for every dollar that I put into that toward helping to offset my long-term care costs? What if I saved in this even for a while, not long. What if I saved for 10 years, starting at 62, and saved heavily inside of it until 72, and then decided that I wanted to take an income from it for the rest of my life after that? Remember, I said I want to live till I'm 125 years old. Who would be the winner of that? Would it be... uh, me or the insurance company. It would be you, of course. Absolutely. And that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. Actually, you know, let's be honest, who would be the winner of that? The reason it works is because I would be the winner and the insurance company would be the winner. Insurance companies never bet on anything. That's why this is such a desirable thing to give consideration to. And it is different than what the pundits explain about insurance. Let me give you a for instance. Do you know that of all the term insurance sold in America over all the years, only 3% of term insurance contracts conclude with a payout? Yep. 97% do not. So what that means is that essentially term insurance is a bet, isn't it? 
sure. the betting that you're going to die too soon. And the insurance company is betting that you're not. And they have a whole bunch of statistical information that shows in 97% of the cases, they're right and you're wrong. <laughs> now, if you go the other way, when you buy permanent insurance, there's no bet involved. Because in order for the insurance company to stay viable, they have to make sure that the amount of money that you give them plus what they earn on it is enough to pay you the death benefit because you are certainly 100% for sure going to die. Mm -hmm. So there's no bet. And because of that, they can get a nice, safe 5% Four and a half, five, five and a half percent return over a long period of time, which, boy, as a foundation of a great wealth plan, wouldn't that be wonderful? As a foundation of a plan where you needed a guaranteed income that you were absolutely had to have certainty that you would never outlive it, that you could access those funds where no financial catastrophe of any kind could harm those. Because remember, during the Great Depression, uh, you need to understand that it was the insurance companies that led banks in this country out of the Great Depression. Uh, There has never been, and I want you to be very clear about this, there has never been a default on life insurance in the history of the business. Period. End of quote. Well, Van, but you've heard of companies going out of business, so explain that. Well, it's because what ends up happening is there are protections, or what happens is other companies who feel they can manage that money better take them over. That's how a lot of companies get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, So, and to this point, through world wars, through Great Depressions, through uh, hyperinflation, through good presidents and bad presidents, you know, the insurance companies have kept their promises and paid these funds out on a regular basis to the people who made the decision that they were going to set aside this money on a regular basis. In other words, they saved money and kept it saved. They lived within their means. They made sure that they put it in a place where they knew that they would have a positive outcome. They weren't going for a home run. They were hitting solid singles. You know? it's I can't tell you strong enough why I believe in this. I did it for my own children. My two children are going to be set with cash value, life insurance, and Roth IRAs. You know, let's let's even go a step further. Let's really think about this for a minute. And, and Teresa, Teresa, will you do me a favor? Will you pretend you're a client for a minute? Absolutely. Let me ask you something. Do you think taxes will be higher in the future? I frankly think so. I don't see how it can't be. You you read off a list of all these issues, right? We've got. Well, 
But it's, in my opinion, doesn't matter. It's your opinion. You're, and I don't want you to be a smart alecky advisor now. I want you to be a client. Okay, so I'm a client. I've got the client hat and on, so and yes, I'm concerned about taxes in the future. I think they're think going it's up. Possible, they could be way higher. I think they can be, but when I retire, then won't my won't I be in a lower tax bracket? Well, that's what a lot of people used to think, but that's not happening anymore because there is no inflation protection under the Social Security benefits that you receive. Uh, so as your income slightly goes up every single year, you get pushed into higher and higher brackets. Also, in order to maintain your standard of living, you usually have to keep an income that is approximately what you had while you were working. And the reason you have to do that is because you have higher health care costs, you have higher energy costs. You know, I live in Wisconsin. I know you live down south where it's warmer, but I live in Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin, it gets cold in the winter. And I've noticed that as I've gotten older, I used to run around all winter long in Wisconsin without a top coat. And now I can't do that anymore. I get colder easier because the older I get, the colder I get. You are and so my energy costs go up. You know, there's so many things that we used to think would happen because of increased energy costs, inflation. And by the way, we have some pretty serious inflation coming too, but I'll get to that. I'm not that far in with you. Because you know what? My opinion, it doesn't really matter. I think my clients, and I trust that my clients, have at least enough exposure to what's going on out there that they know some of this is happening. Where I think they fall down is how to organize it so that they understand what its implications are, what damage it could do, and then the best part is how they could prevent themselves from being hurt by it and then take advantage of it. Van, I think that's a perfect, perfect spot right there for us to take a quick break. There is so much to talk about when it comes to life insurance and annuities and the current economy. We are living in a brand new world. Van is going to rejoin us next week. So stay tuned for part two of our discussion on how you can survive in the new economy and why, frankly, you can't depend on politicians to solve your problems because they can't solve their own problems, right? Visit us at livingwealthyradio.com. We'll have the show posted on there. Make sure you come back next week to hear Van Miller, part two of our conversation.